What I always tell patients is it's never too early and it's never too late to get started. And I think that's the important thing. I mean, even if you're 70 and, you know, you maybe haven't been doing everything as in a healthy manner or the right way, it's still not too late. On the other side of that coin, if you're 30, great, let's get started now. I mean, you'll be so ahead of the game. So I don't think that there is a right or wrong time to get started. That was Dr. Mickey Barber, a physician and a sought-after lecturer on age management and hormone replacement. Dr. Barber has been featured on television and in publications including Shape Magazine, Vogue, and Harper's Bazaar. And in this episode, we talk about how we can successfully navigate the aging process and stay healthy as we get older so we can continue to do and enjoy the things we want to do and why it really is never too late to start. You're listening to Second Breaks, a show about life in the middle. My name's Lou Blazer. I'm a former management consultant and IT leader turned writer and podcaster, and of course, your host. And there's one thing you should know about me right away. I am not an expert on midlife. I'm on this journey just like you. So together with my guests, we're going to explore what it actually takes to navigate midlife, thrive in it, and turn it into the best phase of our lives. This podcast is brought to you by Midlife Cues, a digital publication for the over 40 about getting stronger, wiser, and bolder in our midlife. Check it out and subscribe for free at midlifecues.com. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. Today, we're talking with Dr. Mickey Barber, a physician who focuses on age management. Dr. Barber's mission is to spread the word that we can look and feel great at any age. Her philosophy for successful aging includes preventing age-related illnesses while maintaining energy, health, and sexual vigor through shared responsibility of the patient-doctor team. Now, there's a phrase we've heard before, haven't we? Successful aging. And there's actually a couple of them out there on the zeitgeist these days. There's positive aging. There's aging gracefully. That last one, that's a phrase I don't care for very much myself because of what it brings up in my mind. But the term successful aging has been intriguing for me because, you know, how do we age successfully? Is there even really such a thing? And aren't we by default successfully aging if we are still alive? Now, Dr. Barber uses this phrase successful aging and that's one of the first things that I asked her when I chatted with her a few weeks ago. I wanted to hear the physician's perspective. And now I can say that I fully, fully support this idea and the goal of successfully navigating the aging process. Now, to be candid, I wish that I had paid attention to this when I was in my late 30s or early 40s, though I wonder if I would have taken it to heart, really, if I'd spoken with Dr. Barber back then about the topic. You know how it is when we're young. We act, or at least I did, as if we're going to be young forever. But no matter. If there is only one thing that I hope you will take away from this episode, it is that it is not too late. 
we can start today. We can commit to the goal of successfully aging today and start making healthier choices. Buckle up, my friend. There are tons of nuggets and notes to write down from this episode. And oh, by the way, I would love, love, love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at Lou Blazer, or you can email me, Lou at secondbreaks.com. Well, I, I think it's really important to appreciate, number one, that we're all getting older. I mean, that is an inevitable for sure. And it's my opinion that we can do that successfully or not. And by that, I mean avoiding some of the pitfalls of aging, chronic diseases, for example, diabetes, hypertension, dementia, uh, obesity. What can we do to avoid those diseases associated with the aging process? I think if we manage to do that, we are very successful. And by doing that, Hopefully, we'll be able to be engaged in activities that are meaningful for us. So the worst thing is to get to be 80, for example, and not be able to play with your grandkids, play golf if that's what you like to do, Um, you know, be up watching movies late with your kids. I mean, whatever that is, and I think that's the thing to remember is that that's a very individualized approach. But if we can stay healthy and well and avoid these diseases, then our chances of being able to participate in things that we really enjoy are so much better. So to me, that's being successful. Now, there are things that wear out, like I have a new shoulder. I had my shoulder replaced in November. And so the more active we are, there are going to be parts that you know might need some work. But if you can stay healthy, avoid medications and really take care of yourself. I think the likelihood that you're going to be successful in the aging process is much better. Now, and I'll speak for myself now here. Um, Successful aging wasn't something that I thought about when I was in my 30s. I'm with you. Yeah. And so I'm only now just starting to think about it. And so for, for the people who are like me, who are in middle age and are now just thinking about this, have we sort of kind of missed the boat on this? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And and I know we all talk about middle age and I, it's kind of an ambiguous term because what does that mean? Like if you're 40, is that middle age? Or are you only planning to be 80? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my case, I'm 66. So if you do the math and um, I'm middle age, that means I'm going to live to be 120 something. Um, which is my goal. I had written that goal down a long time ago. So that's the first thing. And what I always tell patients is it's never too early and it's never too late to get started. And I think that's the important thing. I mean, even if you're 70 and, you know, you maybe haven't been doing everything as in a healthy manner or the right way, it's still not too late. On the other side of that coin, if you're 30, great, let's get started now. I mean, you'll be so ahead of the game. So I don't think that there is a right or wrong time to get started. I kind of read a little bit about, you had this funny, not funny, haha, but there was this time in your life, in your 40s, I believe, when you felt suddenly not quite 100% there. Yeah, it's funny because talking about, you know, being concerned about our health and being ahead of the curve. I mean, I felt like I was doing a lot of things right in my 20s and 30s. 
And when I was about 44, I was a practicing anesthesiologist. I had two young children. I was married. I was quite busy. And all of a sudden, I became very ill. I mean, literally over the course of maybe six weeks, I was to the point where I could not get through the day without having to stop and take a nap. I had, I mean, I would pull over on the side of the highway. That's how bad it was. Um, I was in pain, headaches all the time. I was really sick. It turned out I had what's called an autonomic neuropathy. And I was doing some things right, and it turns out I was eating a lot of things that were not good for me. I was exposed to chemicals that were not good for me. Um, My hormones were totally out of balance. So over the course of really almost two years, I finally got my health turned around, which is how I started in age management and wellness and left anesthesia. The beautiful thing about that was that It changed my position and my opinions about a lot of things that I felt real sure about before. And once you're a patient and you're sick, I think you become a much, much better doctor. And so I had that opportunity um, (laughs) thrown my direction. It's interesting that the... The way that you describe it, at least the symptoms that you shared today, it's... I could just see myself discounting it for, oh, you know, this is part of age. You know, like I would excuse it for like, maybe I'm just a little tired or maybe this is part of aging or or some other rationalized explanation for why we're feeling the way that we're feeling. And I think women are particularly good at that. I think, um, you know, we kind of write it off to having our plate too full. Yes. Um, oh, menopause. Know. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Oh, this is part of menopause. Right. right. And it's just natural that, um, and sometimes it is. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but in my case, it was not the whole story. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of things, I had to make some changes, some things, like I said, that I thought were good for me turned out to not be. And, you know, there were many things that, that I changed. And I'm the kind of person, at least I was then, that, I had to be hit alongside the head, really, to um, to really see it. And, um, you know, that may be the doctor part of me. I don't know. I'm a Taurus. I'm bullheaded. I don't know. But um, it, it definitely took, you know, a, a major. I mean, I was in the hospital for two weeks. I oh, was um, at the Mayo Clinic for a month. I mean, I was quite ill. And, um, you know, that, that'll get your attention for sure. And I had a very strong family history of heart disease and um, my sister died of breast cancer at 43. My brother and my dad both had heart attacks in their 40s. So it was almost like it was the only way I would get the message if I was hit with a major health challenge in my 40s. So it was really life-changing for me and and I think that my patients have benefited from that series of events that I had to go through. You were um, weightlifting, I believe, like into weightlifting earlier in your life, and then you went back uh, in the last decade or so. Was was it because of your health scare that you went back to to that? You know, or or it, it was always part of you anyway. Well, I mean, I'd always been physically fit. 
even when I was ill, I mean, that's part of my challenge was people would look at me and say, hey, you look great. What's wrong with you? Even though I felt horrible. (laughs) Um, But after I got through the illness, then I said, hey, I want to show people that once you're on the other side that you can really get physically fit. And so I decided to do some figure competitions, which involved, you know, really lifting weights and being very structured and exercise Mm -hmm. and eating and et cetera. And that was really because I wanted to show people what you really can do if you put your mind to it. Because during the period that I was ill, I mean, when I say I couldn't get out of bed, I mean, I could not get out of bed. I I had to quit my medical practice. I mean, it was... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was really bad. Yeah. So that's part that was part of my motivation to then, you know, really hit the gym even harder and show people what you can do. Which is awesome that, I mean, I looked at those pictures and also I think, I can't remember if, if you said it or someone else said it, but like, you know, when, you, when your doctor, and this is actually a good segue to this other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, but like when your doctor tells you, you know, hit the gym or whatever, and then you look at them and you're like, are, well, are you hitting the gym? <laughs> like, are you exercising? Agreed. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, and, and I think what you're leading up to is, you know, how do you choose your doctor? Yeah. And um, I think it's a real challenge these days for a lot of reasons. I mean, I, first of all, your doctor should walk the walk. I mean, you know, if, if they're saying, you know, get to the gym and they look like they haven't seen a gym, I'm out of there. I mean, that's not the doctor for me, number one. Number two, uh, with insurance and the current healthcare system the way it is, it's hard to find doctors who have the time to sit and get to know you. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but it makes it a lot harder. And it's a frustration for patients and for doctors, I think. I think listening is so key, um, you know, and as a physician, asking the right questions and then listening for the answer is so important. And, you know, not everyone is good at it. You know, I was an anesthesiologist before, so I didn't have to ask that many questions and I didn't have to listen for those many answers. But with what I do now, it's a hugely important part of what we do, what I do. And then, you know, really helping patients to realize that I might have a list of things I want you to do, but I have to make that list work for you. Um, And all of us are different. We have different lifestyles. We have different goals. We have different time constraints. And so just giving you this list of things to do and expecting you to do them (laughs) doesn't work. And, you know, it has to be very individualized. And so it makes choosing your doctor, I think it's hard for patients. I mean, I, I... one of the things that we do here locally is try to connect patients with specialists that I think help them um, and will listen to them. Now, sometimes I'm wrong, um, but you know, I think that's an important thing. I mean, your personality and your doctors have to work in some way so that you can communicate. In our last episode, where we talked about menopause with Lorraine Miano, we brought up the fact that women don't always feel heard by our doctors. 
our health concerns are often dismissed as normal due to menopause. While women certainly experience this often, I realize now that this experience of not being heard by our doctors isn't limited to women. As I bring up this topic with other midlifers, I'm hearing a common refrain that we don't always feel heard, that many of our health concerns are often quickly, too quickly explained away as normal part of the aging process, and that so many of us, instead of having a more candid conversation with our doctors, we end up relying on the internet in search of the answers that we are looking for. Now, there's a phrase that Dr. Barber uses on her website that caught my eye, shared responsibility of the patient-doctor team. And I asked her to talk about it a bit because I don't feel as patients that there is a shared responsibility. Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, And when I was ill, I I laughed about it then. I, I felt like I saw as many doctors as had been in my graduating class from medical school. So, you know, well over 100 doctors. And many of them didn't listen to me and wrote me off and told me it was all in my head. And many said, it's just something that happens when you turn 40. And it was very frustrating. So I know what that feels like to be on that side. What I've learned now is to say, hold on, just stop for a second. Are you telling me this is normal? A, B, C, and D. Are you? Is that what you're telling me? And I think it's the patient's responsibility to stop the conversation if it's not going the direction and you feel like you're not being heard. It, of course, is the physician's responsibility to hear the patient. Unfortunately, I don't know how much of that is taught and how much is of that is learned behavior. I mean, I, I really don't. I also think part of the shared responsibility is, like I said earlier, walking the walk. Um, You know, if I'm telling you, you know, you need to be eating plenty of lean protein and eating vegetables and avoiding carbohydrates or whatever, and I'm not doing that myself, then then I don't see how that works. I mean, but but if I give you a list of things that we agree on that you're going to do and you don't do that those things during that period of time then as the patient you haven't held up your end of the deal either so accountability i think is important the physician needs to be held accountable and the patient i think accessibility so being able to get in touch with your provider and feeling like, I mean, now, you know, there's, I think in some ways, better communication, you know, you can communicate by email, text, phone, portal communication. In some ways, it is better. Uh, I think when you're in the office is for a lot of people where it falls apart, because a lot of practices are rushing people through to pay the bills. I mean, honestly, and that makes it challenging. So as a patient, part of your responsibility, I think, is to have outlined what you want to discuss mm-hmm. so that you stay on course and don't be intimidated. Right. I've heard so many of these stories where they go to the doctor and then they come home and then Google the questions that they never got to ask the doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, you know, you have to go in there with a list and don't make it too long. I mean, mm-hmm. be reasonable. 
prioritize what what is important to you at that point in time and for god's sake don't say i googled such and such <laughs> um in the conversation <laughs> um, because yes, you know that's not a good way to start the conversation i mean it's really not you may have googled all of it before but just don't bring that in as your reference right, um, right. when you're starting and and you know i think the way you phrase the questions as a patient you know to say I'm really concerned about this. Mm-hmm. It comes across a little bit differently than saying, uh, I've been reading about such and such. And yes. I just think to make it more personal yes, and um, a- as a place of concern that mm-hmm. you have a better chance of getting the attention of the physician. Do you think that, as you know, as we get older... Do you think that it's important to look for physicians who are who specifically say that they specialize in age management? Do you think that that sort of cert, not certification because it's not a certain but specialization or focus becomes more important as we get older? I do. I think mm-hmm. um, there's someone that practices age management, anti-aging, functional medicine. I think that all of those are a more holistic approach mm-hmm. and your chances of finding a physician who will listen and mm-hmm. look at the big picture is better. Now there're going to be some doctors that fall in there that, you know, are not going to pay attention <laughs> to what you're saying. Anyway, um, right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think you have a better chance of uh, much better. And, you know, where it's not just kind of a knee-jerk response, um, because mm-hmm. that's the problem. And I think, I mean, I know from my parents' perspective, both of them have passed away, but when they got to be in their 80s and 90s, that they were not listened to at all by mm-hmm. their doctors. Mm-hmm. And I, fortunately, was their advocate. But, you know, I think the older we get... You know, they were seeing very conventional doctors, and, you know, they pretty much wrote them off. I mean, once they hit 75. That's just part of it. Yeah, and so I I think um, finding the right practitioners now before you really need them (laughs) makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, I've had patients that have been with me 20 years. Um, My oldest patient is 93, and is flying in on Monday, he and his wife. Um, he still works. He still has a radio show. He's still sexually active. He is sharp as a tack. Um, so, you know, the, the potential that we have, if you really start now and find physicians that listen to you, I think mm-hmm. is, is pretty exciting. Doctor, can you talk a little bit about what your practice focuses on? I know you're in age management. What does that actually entail? Can you talk a little bit about your work? Sure, sure. And honestly, it's it's morphed, changed, expanded over the years that I've been doing this. But we focus on disease prevention and helping us to stay looking and feeling and being as healthy as possible as we move through the aging process. So there are a lot of pieces to that puzzle. Um, There is the exercise or the fitness puzzle piece. There is the nutritional puzzle piece. There is the hormonal piece, 
There's lifestyle, sleep, gut health, and then a lot, all the other kind of minor pieces, minor, um, that are important as well. So that's really the foundation is getting all those pieces together. And so we evaluate that through lab work, through different kinds of testing, through conversation, through forms, through surveys, to keep pulling the information together. And so our initial evaluation, we know a lot about you by the end of that day. But over time, we learn more and more about each of our patients so that we can individualize things and help them to stay healthy, looking, feeling good, being cognitively energetic and on focus, sexually active if that's what they want. And so again, to put all the pieces together. So your, your practice is in North Carolina, so I have an right? office in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, South office, Carolina. But I also have an office in Charlotte, North Carolina. So you were right. So I'm in both, yes. There you go, there you go. So obviously you you uh, you serve, uh, you know, the, the patients in that area. So for the folks who don't live anywhere near there, it, do you find that this, this focus, uh, that there are other practices, uh, physicians or practices that focus in this area in other places? Do you find that this is uh, becoming a, a, a growing practice amongst physicians? Definitely it's growing. Now, that being said, I have patients flying from all over the country. So, I mean, we work with patients uh, remotely. They We do ask that they come in for their initial evaluation, but but there are certainly practitioners out there all over the country. Um, and again, if you're looking for someone, you know, you can go on the um, uh, anti-aging medical site, so A4M. You can go on the Age Management uh, website, Age Management Medical Group, AMMG, the Functional Medicine Group. I mean, those are all avenues to find clinicians in your area. Uh, but it really is growing. And I think part of that is, you know, a, a great deal of frustration on the part of, of patients with conventional medicine and a great deal of frustration on the physician's part with conventional medicine. And, you know, that those two things have come together to really, you know, build up interest and availability of practitioners who do what we do. started recording you wanted to make sure that we we talk or spend a little bit of time talking about some upcoming sort of development or something that we should really be paying attention to or should be aware of can you talk a little bit about those doctor yes and thank you for giving me the opportunity so i have always used what we can call bioidentical compounded hormones so they are identical to what our body normally makes that we have fewer and fewer, less and less of as we age. So those are made by compounding pharmacies and compounding pharmacies all nowadays are certified. It's not like they're being made in someone's garage. I mean, you know, they have jumped through many hoops that the FDA has put in their, in front of them. Unfortunately, um, the FDA has is going to clamp down on the production of bioidentical hormones 
if we don't do something about it. I mean, I could go into the history of this, but this has all happened in the last year and a half where they are really trying to take them away from us. Um, it is a huge concern for many reasons. One, they've, we, they've been used safe, safely for over 20 years. And number two, they are individualized for each patient based on their dose, their conditions, their needs, whatever. So it allows us to have very personalized medicine. And we are at great risk of losing that right as patients. And I really feel hugely strong about this as a woman. First of all, one of the first hormones that I think saved my life when I was sick was progesterone. And it was a lifesaver for me. And if I were to pick my favorite hormones, it would be at the top of the list. I mean, we will be at risk of losing that. Now, in my opinion, it's because big pharma is trying to take over that industry. Uh, but there are two websites. One is called We the Women dot us, which I strongly advise people get onto. That will link you directly to your representative and senators so that you can put pressure on Congress to make sure this doesn't happen. The other one is compounding.org. It allows the same connection with your representatives because if we don't act on this now, it will be taken away from us. And it's a very, very scary thing that, um, you know, we have to move forward on. I'm going to ask a stupid sounding question, doctor, but will our voices be heard when we do that? Or is it really just up to the FDA? It's a really I'm sorry good for question. asking that no, no, question. No. It's a fair, totally fair question. I mean, I'm an optimist at heart. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a, a glass half full kind of girl. Um, I've been working with several different coalitions of lobbyists, mm -hmm. attorneys, pharmacists, doctors, um, and we believe, and the lobbyists in particular, that we can stop this ball before it starts okay. rolling. And mm -hmm. so this is really preemptive, and the right now it's explaining to members of Congress even what a bioidentical compounded hormone is <laughs> um, before... The I FDA. Say, I could think of a few people who probably go like, "What? What is that?" Uh, exactly, and you know that's okay. Um, but it's our job to educate them. So the lobbyists feel confident that if we can get ahead of this, that we can make a difference. But I can tell you, by sitting back and doing nothing, we're not going to make any difference. Right. Right. And the other thing is, and and I've taken this on as one of my personal goals mm. is to educate practitioners, physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs about this because most people don't realize this is even happening. Right. I mean, yeah. If you didn't mention it, I didn't know about it. And it, you know, we have to stop it. I mean, you know, I, and, and without, no matter what your political affiliation is, it doesn't matter. I mean, we will not have access to any form of compounded bioidentical hormones if this goes through. I will definitely put a link to those websites on the show notes um, and um, link to any specific sort of articles that I find on those on the show notes, show notes. Can I just, do you have any reaction to the, the latest Alzheimer's disease 
drug that was just yeah, approved. I do. Provisionally yeah. approved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't understand how it got through. I mean, that's the best I can say. I mean, I don't understand. And even now, I mean, I'm not sure. They, they've limited the scope of use. And um, yeah, I do not understand how it got there. So you're not going to be rushing to? Uh, no, I'm definitely not going to be rushing to use it. No. <laughs> to, to prescribe it. Not that it's available yet anyway, but... I, yeah, I doubt it. It's very expensive. And if it has, if it is effective. It's a very limited number of patients that would qualify for it in reality. Yeah, I, I read about the, I guess the FDA revised the label or something or Correct. limited the application mm -hmm. to the really, really early, early signs off. And so it Correct. limits really the who's who's going to be qualified. Correct. And, and yeah. you know, that's One of the tests that we do um, as part of our evaluation is we do cognitive testing. It, it, it's an online test that our patients take. And I don't know why more doctors don't do it, because part of the problem with uh, cognitive decline, dementia, Alzheimer's, is by the time it is actually diagnosed, people are very far down the road. And, you know, there is almost no intervention that makes a big difference And so I, I just implore people, if you can, number one, be honest with yourself and your patients and your physician if you are having memory issues. But if you can get tested as a baseline and then followed yearly, so much smarter. And if you have a family history of dementia or Alzheimer's, you need to be working with somebody now because by the time, you know, you actually have impairment, in many cases, it's just too late. And we have picked up early dementia and early Alzheimer's in probably five patients over the last, I don't know, 15 years. Um, so I don't know why it's not part of every physical exam that every doctor does, because the test is relatively inexpensive and takes 30 minutes. But because really the number one chronic disease of aging is dementia. Is dementia. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, you have to be ahead of that. Oh, my goodness. It, it's actually, it's personally, it's my number one fear, cognitive decline, really? dementia. It's my number one fear of, of like, the, in the world of aging, it is my number one fear. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think most that is the number one fear of most patients that we see. Um, you know, obviously, you don't want to be dependent on someone else. You know, you don't want to be able to take care of yourself. You don't want to be able to do what you do today, you know, work and, and you know, enjoy your life. So it is a huge concern. And, you know, we just try to do everything that we can. I wish there was a magic pill. There's not. But, oh God. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, sleep is huge. Uh, when you look at prevention for dementia, sleep top of the list, exercise, top of the list, diet, top of the list, hormonal balance uh, for men and women, uh, certain vitamins, vi the B vitamins and D vitamins. So there are some things when you pull out all the studies that, you know, decrease your risk mm -hmm. of dementia and Alzheimer's, but there's no magic pill at right. this point in time. Yeah, not yet. Keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the mantra of Second Breaks is celebrate midlife. And I was wondering if I threw that phrase to you, uh, what comes to mind? 
To me, it's just enjoying every day and enjoying, you know, people ask me all the time, so I'm 66 and people say, you know, when are you going to retire? And I said, when I'm not having fun anymore. Um, and that's really key. I mean, to me, it's having fun, being able to participate, looking and feeling good. And I certainly do. I mean, when, when I turned 66 this year, I was like, whoa. Wow. I mean, you know, that's looking at 70. <laughs> but, you know, I feel great. I just had a bunch of uh, screening tests done. I had my heart screened. I had my colonoscopy yesterday. I had, you know, all the, and everything looks great. And, you know, I feel very, very grateful for that. My parents are both gone. My younger brother is gone and my sister. And I don't know if it was what I do to keep myself healthy. I believe it is. I think there's a little luck in there, but I think it's also, you know, that I, I made a conscious decision in my 40s to make some changes. And I can't tell you how grateful I am because I'm still having fun. And I think that's what life is all about. At 20, I was lost without purpose and not in good health. That's for sure. Today, I am happy, loving my job, loving life, and the healthiest I've ever been. As I told Dr. Barbara during our chat, I haven't been thinking of aging successfully in my younger years. And though I don't smoke or drink excessively, I do have some unhealthy habits that I can, should really, work on. And so I really appreciate Dr. Barber saying that it's never too late to start being healthy. I've got so many takeaways from this episode, but that one definitely tops my chart. Start now. You can find out more about Dr. Mickey Barber by visiting her website, betterlifecarolinas.com. Now, there were several resources and websites that Dr. Barber mentioned in this episode. You're going to find all those links and the highlights of this episode on the show notes, secondbreaks.com. If you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, I would so, so, so appreciate it if you would share it with your friends. Tell them about this specific episode with Dr. Barber or about the podcast. You spreading the word about the show helps tremendously in growing our community of thriving midlifers, and that's what we want, right? I would be so grateful if you would do that. Now, in our next episode, we're going to continue our conversation around successful aging. We're going to be joined by Shulamit Berliftov, and we're talking about stress management. I have just recently begun to understand how important it is for us midlifers to manage our cortisol levels and incorporate healthy stress management techniques that we can do every day or every time we feel that stress level go up. I don't want you to miss that episode and any of the future episodes for that matter. So now is the perfect time to hit follow or subscribe on whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, right around the audio player, you're going to find some options for podcast apps as well. Okie dokie, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with Shulamit Berlev Tov. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans.